Hey everybody, we'd like to welcome you to the Ewok Podcast. We hope your day's going good. This is the official podcast of the East Wilton Union Church located in Wilton, Maine. And today we're going to hear a message from Robbie Locke, our senior pastor. We hope that it's a blessing to your life and that God uses it to help you walk closer with him. And our prayer is that you would grow closer to him in truth and in love. Well, without further ado, here's Pastor Robbie. Take your Bibles again and turn with me to 1 John and chapter 4. We spoke three weeks ago of Satan's strategy to attack the truth. And in the Garden of Eden, when he spoke with Eve, there were three major things that he did. It was a three-pronged assault on God's holy word. The first thing he did was cast doubt on what God had said. He said, yea, hath God said? Did he really say that? Folks, when you begin to doubt the word of God, know where doubt comes from. It does not come from the Lord. It comes from the enemy. He used doubt. Secondly, he denied outright what God had said. He eventually says to Eve, you will not surely die. And yet God had said, if you eat, you will die. He contradicted. He denied outrightly the word of God. And then lastly, he distorted what God had specifically told Adam in the beginning. He said to Adam, and this is before Eve was created, he said to Adam, do not eat of the tree, for in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. When Satan repeats this information, he adds to it. He distorts the word by saying this, God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like him, knowing the difference between good and evil, and in effect is casting aspersions on the character of God, saying God is withholding from you a blessing. God wants to be the only God, and he doesn't want you to be God's. He doesn't want you to be like him, and so he is withholding from you. Folks, listen, nothing could have been further from the truth. The knowledge of good and evil is a destructive force. Now, it's good when we're able to distinguish between what is right and what is wrong. That's a good thing. But what you have to understand is if they'd never eaten, we'd still be in a state of innocence and there would be no sin. But with this disobedience, sin comes into the human race and not only sin, but the Bible says death by sin and death passed upon the whole human race. The amazing thing about God is on that day when they ate, they should have died physically. They should have. God had said that they would, but you know what? God demonstrated from the very beginning that he's a merciful God. And he didn't put them to death. In fact, he made them coverings out of the skins of the animals. There was a sacrifice. Blood was shed so that the skins might be available to cover their nakedness. Because God, from the beginning, knowing men would fall, sought steps to restoration. And if you're saved today, it's because that day in the Garden of Eden, God said, I'm not going to put Adam and Eve to death. I'm going to give them another chance, and I'm going to redeem them. Thank God for redemption. Amen? 
Satan and his demonic forces, ever since the Garden of Eden, have waged a relentless, non-stop campaign against the truth. And they continue to use doubt, they continue to use denial, and they continue to use distortion. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, Whose minds, talking about unbelievers, whose mind the God, small g, that's the devil, the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. We wonder sometimes, why are people so hard? Why are they so close to the truth? One of the reasons they are so close to the truth is because the devil has blinded them to the truth. He has a powerful effect upon them. God wants to shine the light of the gospel of Christ into their hearts, and the devil puts the blinders on them. Thank God, God is greater than the devil, and he can overcome these efforts of the devil. But folks, I want to tell you something. People don't believe because the devil is actively seeking to keep people in unbelief. Satan is the source of all error. All false doctrine has satanic roots. You remember this verse in John 8, 44, you are of your father the devil. Now, who was Jesus speaking to? He was speaking to the religious Pharisees and scribes, the most religious people of his day. And he said, your father is not God, your father is the devil. And the desires of your father you want to do. Well, what was the devil like? It says he was a murderer from the beginning. What is the first thing? What is the first sin that the Bible records after Adam and Eve's fall? Cain kills his brother Abel. He says, you're just like your father, the devil. Then he says, there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For the devil is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I know that it's very difficult sometimes to look at people who are involved in either false religions or cults or even other what we might call respectable denominations and to use this kind of terminology of them and say they are of the devil, they're, what they believe and what they teach are demons, doctrines. It's hard to say those words except that Paul said them over and over and over again. He wanted us to understand that when someone believes a lie, the lie comes from one source and one source only, the devil. And not from God, for God always speaks the truth. It is important that a Christian be discerning. And this is where we left off last time. We need to have the ability through the Holy Spirit to listen to someone teach and discern as to whether what they are saying lines up with the truth of the Word of God. The final authority is not the preacher. The final authority is not the doctrinal statement of the local church. The final authority is the Word of God. And so when I listen to someone preach or teach, and when you listen to me this morning, you need to evaluate what I say in the light of what the Word says that I am reading to you here. And in any way that I disagree with what the Word of God says, I'm the one that's wrong, not the Word. And so you need to discern between truth and error. You need discernment. And one of the reasons we need discernment is for our own benefit. 
But imagine if we go on confused doctrinally, how are we going to help unsaved people ever come to know the Lord if we don't have it straight in our own heads? So it's very important that we become discerning Christians. So there are three things that we must do. If you have your bulletin, the notes are in there. You can pick up with me three things that we must do with regard to the truth. Number one, the Bible says we must guard the truth. We must guard the truth. I want you to turn with me for a moment to 2 Timothy chapter 1, please. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I want to read verses 13 and 14. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. What is he saying here? He is saying that we need to hold fast to that doctrine which was originally preached by Jesus, the apostles, and Paul. The Bible says that the foundation of the church was laid by the apostles and the prophets. And in the early church in Acts chapter 2, in the very first local church that existed, it says they taught the apostles' doctrine. And brethren, what we need to realize is that what we preach today must be the same message that those men preached back in the New Testament. For if we move in any other direction, we begin to introduce lies and deception. And so knowing your Bible is absolutely fundamental in order to defend it. When Jude writes in verse 3 of his little epistle, he says this. He said, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. In other words, stand up for the faith. Fight for the truth. No matter what it costs you. It doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't matter what the world does to you. You need to stand for the truth. Contend for the faith. Be prepared to do battle against error. Now, let me just say this. This is very important because I think some pastors and preachers and teachers go to the extreme. And what they do is they focus so much of their temp time on the error of these groups that they don't balance that properly with the teaching of what is actually true. In other words, they, they show why this is wrong, but they don't establish what is true. I believe the Scales should lean toward the side of simply proclaiming the truth of God and letting it stand for itself. But there will be times when we must speak up and we must say, this particular group teaches this particular thing. And it's not because we want to condemn the individuals. It is their doctrine that is of the devil. And they are blind guides leading people into the ditch. They fall themselves because they cannot see and they lead people into the ditch. We need to help people see the truth. And so that means we need to guard the truth. Secondly, we need to know the truth, firmly holding to it as a conviction. 
You know that the Bible is not full of suggestions. The Bible is not full of take it or leave it ideas. <laughs> you and I need to believe the truth. We need to know the truth, but we need to stand on the truth with conviction. In John 8:32 it says, "And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? It'll make you free." But listen to me, this is so important. The truth only makes you free when you believe and act upon it. Otherwise, you remain in bondage. In 2 Timothy 2.15, a verse familiar to many of us, it says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. In other words... A person who not only reads the Bible, but a person who knows how to use the Bible in a proper way to defend God's truth. Now, I'm sure that there are many times when you read the Bible, you'll read a verse, and you'll say, what in the world does that mean? Anyone ever been there? What do you do then? When you come across that passage and you have no idea what that means, and this sounds really out there. By the way, are there some things that look really out there in the Bible? What do you do? You know, a lot of people do say, whew, I guess I'm not going to stop here. I'm going to read the next chapter. Hopefully there'll be something there I can get. I want to suggest to you, brethren, that when you come to a passage of Scripture and you don't know what it means, it is your responsibility before Almighty God to find out what it means. That means you need to study the Bible. Not just read it. I don't know about you, but when I went to school and I sat through classes, that never was enough for Robbie to be able to pass the test when it came time. You know what I had to do? I had to take my books home. My mother was commenting to me the other day. She says, I can remember night after night you'd be up till 1.30 in the morning doing homework. That shows you I'm not very bright. It took a lot of time studying. And I did well, I got good grades and all that, but I want to tell you something. If I had not devoted that time to study, you know what? I would have messed up big time. You and I are meant to be not just readers of the word. Now my son Toby, he's, he's so funny because he's, he's got one of those minds that just remembers an awful lot. <laughs> I talked to him one day three or four months ago and I said I'm reading such and such a book and he said oh I read that in seminary you know when he went to seminary 15 years ago you know what he said to me he says dad you'll really like chapter 9 because it talks all about it. and then he went into great detail he had not read this book for 15 years and he knew what was in chapter 9 that ain't his dad that's not me. You know what? I not only need to read, I need to meditate, I need to study when I don't have answers. Listen, find yourself, get yourself a good study Bible. At the very least, you can get the basics out of the passages from a good study Bible. You may need to invest in a good Bible commentary. 
say, isn't it enough that I read the Bible? The answer to that question is no, because you can read it and read it and read it, but if you don't understand what you're reading, it's not going to help you grow. And it's not going to help you be victorious over sin and over the flesh and over the devil and over the world. And so we need to know the truth and firmly hold to it as a conviction. It is something that we believe and we stand on that truth and we're prepared to die for the truth if need be. It is our conviction, not just our, well, my opinion. We are living in a day when amongst Christians, they believe my opinion is as important as your opinion. And I want to suggest to you, none of our opinions are important. It is what God says that is important. So if you can't defend what you believe with the Bible, it doesn't matter what you believe. You need to be able to use the word to defend what you believe. The third thing, we need to distinguish the truth from that which is false. Listen to this verse in Colossians 2.8. It says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. What he's saying is this. You need to be able to see the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom and divine wisdom. People often say to me, but if I'm trying to witness to somebody and they bring up some idea that I know is not in the Bible, what do I do? I don't always know how to respond. I say, you know what? Even when I don't know how to respond to a question in a given moment, I always ask this question of people. What is your truth source? What is your truth source? In other words, you have reached this conclusion. You tell me you believe such and such. Why do you believe that? You know what I find a lot of people say to me? Well, that's just what I think. Anyone here ever been wrong? I mean, that's why we have an authoritative word of God, because God is never wrong. <laughs> and if I stand on the word of God, I will always be right, as long as I stand on the truth of Scripture. But if it's my opinion, or my thought, what I've come up with, it just seems to me, well, your wisdom compared to the wisdom of Almighty God, how do you think those two compare? Some people will say, well, in such and such a book, which we consider to be scriptures too, you know, the Mormons have their Book of Mormon, and they have the, the, the uh, covenants, and, and uh, I forget what that's called. The, and they have the Pearl of Great Price, that's another one, but they have Doctrines and Covenants, I guess is what it's called, something like that. And they believe that these books are equally inspired as the Bible, and in fact, their thought is that some of the Bible is not quite measured up now because it's been perverted through the years. So these other writings now are the real final true authority. Folks, listen, if you're depending upon the Book of Mormon or if you're depending upon the translation of the Jehovah's Witnesses and their booklets and their writings, if you're depending upon those things to get you to heaven, you're going to be in big trouble. And it's not because I hate Mormons or I hate Jehovah's Witnesses. What I'm telling you is, is that these wonderful people, and they many, many times are, wonderful people teach error. 
And you can always know what a person believes or where they're headed based upon how they define two major issues. Number one, who is Jesus Christ? And number two, what is the way of salvation? You talk to any group, and I don't care who they are, not just the cults. You talk to any group, and I have often, when I've been witnessing to people, and I seem like I'm not getting through. Have you ever done that? You're talking to someone, it just seems like it's just not registering. So I stop, and I say, okay, let's, let's do this a little different. Let me pretend for a moment. Let's pretend that you are going to heaven, you know you're going there, that you're saved, and I come to you and I say, I want to know how to go to heaven. What do I have to do? to go to heaven. You know how someone answers that question? You're going to immediately know whether they are of the true faith of Scripture or they are of man's wisdom. Because the Scripture says that there's only one way to know for sure you'll go to heaven, and that is to repent of your sins and to have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. But if they say, well, you need to believe in Jesus, of course you do. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. But then you've got to keep the Ten Commandments. In other words, Jesus does his part. We do ours. Or they'll say, believe in Jesus, but then to make sure you get to heaven, you've got to be baptized. I tell you, I've had scores and scores of people down through the years who'd say things like that to me. I say, then let me try to help you to understand now what I've been trying to tell you. What you're saying is it's Jesus plus. Whatever you put after the plus, you're adding to what Jesus did. I said, the true gospel is Jesus, period. What he did was everything that needed to be done, and we can't, not only don't have to add anything to it, we cannot add anything to it without destroying the gospel. And I found that sometimes that is what has helped people to say, okay, I've been adding to Jesus and what he did. And even if they don't believe what I share with them, they at least now understand the difference. We need to stand for the truth because the world will seek to confuse and deceive you. And they may be well-intentioned, right? A A lot of these... I don't know about you, but I gotta, I gotta give it to Jehovah's Witnesses that will just go out time after time after time and pound on doors and know that most people are going to reject them. But they still do it. Now, they do it in part because they're trying to earn their salvation. That's part of that reason, you know. But I want to tell you something, folks. They do what most Christians don't do. Is go out and share their faith with people. And the Mormons, those young fellows, you know, and I've dealt with a lot of them through the years. I used to live in an apartment building in Hiram. They had the second floor, and I had the first floor. Oh, man, some of the conversations we had. I'd, I'd, I'd say to these guys, I don't know, guys, you don't look like a god to me. Because they believe eventually they're all going to become gods, you know, the Mormons do, and and uh, I said, are you, are you sure you're going to become a god? Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have my own planet someday, and I'm going to have my spirit wives and have all kinds of spirit babies. Oh, yeah, it's going to be great. That's what Mormons believe. They don't talk to you about that the first time they come to the door, but that's what they believe. 
Now, folks, I just want to tell you, you can find that in the Book of Mormon. You can find that in the Pearl of Great Price. You can find that in Doctrines and Covenants, but you can't find it in the Bible. What is your truth source? And that will determine everything. Determines everything, the authority of the Word of God. Now, we're just going to get started, and I know you say, mm-hmm. We're just going to get started in chapter 4. All of that was introduction. That's scary. A message and a half was introduction to chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. But open with me to chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Beloved. Who's he writing to? The beloved. Who are the beloved? They're Christians. True believers. He says, Beloved. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, the first thing I want you to see is the command to test. A command here is given. And it's interesting because while we don't see it as clearly in English as it is in Greek, when it says, do not believe every spirit, this is not a suggestion. This is in the imperative form. An imperative is a command. And this is a negative command. Notice it says, do not believe every spirit. Literally, this could be translated, stop believing every spirit. In other words, just because someone stands before you and says they're proclaiming the message of God doesn't mean they're actually proclaiming the message of God. So don't just believe every spirit. Don't do that. Stop believing. And the phrase in the Greek is a tense that suggests that this action is already underway. In other words, they have been listening to every spirit. And he says, stop doing this. Stop doing this. These believers had already given place to deceiving spirits and their false doctrine. You know, I, I am truly amazed at what some professing Christians believe. More and more... Christians who are ignorant of the Word of God, and by that I mean simply lacking an understanding, lacking a knowledge of the Word of God, are prone to believe anything that sounds good. If it sounds spiritual, then it must be right. That is absolutely not the case. The Bible says that we need to be like the Bereans. It says they were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. By the way, in Thessalonica, there was tremendous opposition to the gospel. Paul could only stay there for three weeks and then had to escape for his life because of the opposition. He says the Bereans were not like the Thessalonians. What did the Bereans do? It says, for they received the word with great eagerness. I tell you, that's not enough even. It says, they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. That's the Old Testament scriptures. They examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. In other words, Paul said, when I would get up and preach, they would say, okay, let's get out Isaiah. Let's look at Jeremiah. 
Let's find out what Daniel had to say and see if what Paul said lined up with what the scripture said because the authority was the word of God, not Paul. We are living in a day when there is an awful lot of confusion in the church. Some of the voices that are praised even amongst evangelicals today, it's shocking when you know what some of these people really believe. What do you think of Joel Osteen? Osteen, or whatever his name is. I remember back years ago when his dad was still alive and he was just kind of there on staff and so on. He was one kind of person back then and I tell you what he's like today is a completely different story. His message to the world is, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, that's all very important. But what he's telling everybody is discover the power that is inside of you. You know the only thing that I've got inside of me apart from Jesus? Depravity. Corruption. That's what I have all alone in me because I'm a sinner. I know you all believe that. We won't have to vote on that in the business meeting. We all agree. Pastor's a sinner. And the pastor believes you're sinners. We all are. But he says... Positive thinking. If you can imagine it and you can declare it, you can have it. I don't know about you. That hasn't worked for me. Ever heard of Joyce Meyer? I can't tell you how many women come to me and, and, and through the years and have said, Oh, Joyce Meyer, she's, she's so wonderful. She's such a wonderful Bible teacher. Oh, really? Do you know that Joyce Meyer along with many others, preaches the prosperity gospel today? How many heard of Beth Moore? Now, Beth Moore is, has been in evangelical circles for many years. I mean, a couple of decades has been well-known for her women's Bible studies and her inductive Bible study methods that she's taught literally to thousands of women down through the years. And I want to be very clear. I'm not suggesting you today that Beth Moore doesn't share the gospel. I believe that she shares the gospel. But you know what she's done now? She has teamed up with Joyce Meyer. And they're working together now. And she used to, and this was true, for years, she would teach the word of God to women. She'd have vast, you know, conferences, and it was always women, a woman ministering to women. Today, her stand is, I can go into any church and preach like any man does. It was, was that such a big deal? Let me ask you something. Is what the Bible says a big deal? If we believe the Bible is a big deal, women are not meant to be pastors and women are not meant to preach and teach to men in the local church. There's a place for women to teach. I believe there's even a place for women to preach. But it is not to men who are believers because the Bible says that men are to be God's representatives in front of the church when it comes to the teaching of the word of God. And you know what? Years ago, she would never have done what she's doing today. 
But you know what happens when you start to slide? You step on the banana peel, guess what? It isn't like you just have a little fall. You step on a banana peel, and the leg go right out from under you. You can have quite a crash. See, what I fear for her, not that she's not preaching the gospel right now. She shares the way of salvation. But my fear for her is that the farther she gets away from what the word of God says, the more likely it will be her message changes. That's dangerous. There is a litany of prosperity gospel preachers today. God wants you healthy. God wants you wealthy. And if you're not both of those, it's because of your lack of faith. I wonder what the Apostle Paul would have said about that. A man who had great faith, probably considered to be one of the greatest Christians of the New Testament, and yet he was sick and remained sick until the day of his death. Interestingly enough, he healed some people. Didn't heal himself. You want to know why he didn't heal himself? I mean, wouldn't you think if you have the gift of healing and you got sick, you might go, boop, take care of it. I mean, that's not the way it's done, but you understand what I'm saying. He didn't do it. You want to know why? God told him no. No, I'm not going to heal you. In fact, I'm going to keep you with this problem. Whatever that was exactly, we don't know. But he had a messenger from Satan, the Bible says, that constantly tormented him. Now, some think that was a, a demon spirit, possibly. Others think it was a physical illness. You'll remember that many people who were demon-possessed also had physical infirmities as a result of it. And some suggest that, you know, the demons... And they have to work from the outside because the demon can't possess a Christian, but that they were inflicting this illness on Paul. We don't know exactly what it is, but he said, I went three times to the Lord and asked him about this. You know one of the things about the spiritual gifts, folks? They're never for you. They're always for somebody else. When you use your gift, it's to bless somebody else, not to bless you. And he didn't heal himself. He went to God and says, God, would you take care of this problem for me? And the Lord said, no. And then he went back a second time. See, I don't think he meant I went literally three times, three days in a row. I think he's saying there were three different periods of time in his life when he sought God for healing. And every time God said no. And then God said to him, my grace, the ability to endure, my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul says, I rejoice in my what? My sufferings. In my persecutions. Because when I am weak, when I get up to preach, and this problem, whatever it is, is really difficult for me, he says, you know what? It reminds me how dependent I am upon Almighty God. The Lord says, I'm going to make sure that you don't get proud. I'm going to keep you humble because of the great revelations that you have received. I'm going to keep you humble, and I'll do it through whatever this problem was. So, folks, listen. Some of the troubles you and I have today are from God. They're from God. 
Now, sometimes the devil attacks us, and you can, you know, there's no question about that, but I want to tell you, sometimes the tests come from God. And he has a purpose in the test. It's not to destroy your faith. It's to build up your faith. It's to make you stronger. It's to teach you through suffering today how to trust him tomorrow. Stop believing every spirit. We need to have spiritual discernment. Let me just give you one other thing very quickly. He says here, don't only not, uh, do not believe every spirit. He says, but, and here again, it's in the imperative form. It's in the present tense imperative, which means it is an ongoing command. It's not something you do once and it's done forever. You do it day after day after day. What does he say? Test the spirits. Test the spirits. Now in this context, he makes very clear what he's talking about. He says, test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many what? False prophets have gone out into the world. He said, listen, if there is a false prophet teaching error, the source of his error are demons. So he says, you need to test the spirits. And you do that by evaluating what the person is teaching and you know whether they are being moved by the devil or whether they're being moved by God. Later on, he'll say, listen, you want to know how you know if someone is of God? Paul says, if they listen to us and believe what we say, we know they're of God. And if they don't listen to us, the apostles, we know they're not of God. So he says, continually test the spirits. Now, that word test has to do with a metallurgist assaying metals to test the purity and the value. They would take metals and they would heat them, either test them by fire or just test them by heat, and the dross would come to the top, they'd clean off the top, and what was the result? The metal was purer. And he said, what you need to do is you need to test the spirits in this way. You need to listen to people, and then you need to evaluate in the light of what the scripture says, whether they are the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. Believers who have the word of truth and the spirit of truth must test what they hear with what they know to be true as revealed in the scriptures. Let me say it again. Believers who have the word of truth and the spirit of truth must test what they hear with what they know to be true as revealed in the scriptures. In other words, don't ask, what does the pastor think? Ask, what does the Bible say? Now, hopefully, what the pastor teaches is what the Bible says. <laughs> But pastors can make mistakes. There are things today that I preach that I did not preach 40 some years ago when I started in the ministry because I didn't understand those things. I've come to a certain understanding over my years of study and that has adjusted what I believe based upon my understanding of Holy Scripture. So we must all be prepared to adjust our thinking by what God says. And that requires you and I to be students of the scripture. It's not enough for you to read. It is not enough for you to apply a little passage to your life each day 
and say, that is all I need. Dear friends, you and I are meant to be students. And stu being a student requires time. It requires effort. And so the question today is, are you believing anything and anyone that comes down the pike? Or are you a student of the Word of God and learning what God says so that you can evaluate every message? Not, let me just make this one statement. I don't believe God wants us to come to church with a skeptical attitude. I believe He wants us to come with an open attitude, believing that as we come into His house today, with the help of the Holy Spirit and hopefully the faithful study and preparation of the pastor that he will preach to us the word of God and we ought to come in anticipating that the Holy Spirit will do that work through his servant and we will be taught because God has called preachers and teachers for a reason however we also need to listen with a discerning ear and I don't know about you but there have been times I've been listening to preachers and I'm thinking to myself Somehow that dust doesn't sound right. I'm not sure just what is wrong here. I'm not quite sure what part of this is not true, but something just seems to not be right based upon my understanding of what the Word of God actually says. That's how we come to church. We come to church and say, I expect God to speak to me today. Did you come here today with that anticipation that God would speak to you today? But at the same time, did you listen with discernment? For if I have said something that I should not have said, I, I've prayed this many times, Lord, please let it be the first thing people forget. But Lord, if it's based upon your word, if it's in the scripture, may it be written upon the hearts of your people. What is your true source today? This is where we stand. So test the spirits, whether they be of God or not. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity today to be in your house to study the scriptures. We have been talking, Lord, about this important command that was given to the believers by John. He told them to stop believing just any voice that came along, to be discerning, to listen carefully to what is said and then evaluate what is said based upon what is written in the Word of God. Lord, help us to do that. We don't want to live as skeptics, always doubting, always questioning, but we also don't want to be gullible, just accepting anything we hear. For we know that the devil wants us to doubt the devil wants us to deny. The devil wants us to distort the truth. Help us, O oh God, to stand like the Bereans and evaluate what is said based upon what is written in the Holy Scriptures. Bless, Lord, your word to our hearts, and we'll be careful to praise you for Jesus' sake. Amen. And this has been the Ewok Podcast with Pastor Robbie Locke. We hope it's been challenging and exuberating and uplifting in your life as it has mine. We hope it helps you walk closer with God and understand Him better and the truth He's laid out for us in His Word. 
If you've really enjoyed this sermon or it's had a great impact upon your life, leave us an email or go to our Facebook page or our website and just leave a comment that we might know exactly how it's impacted you. It's very uplifting for us to see those things, for it helps us to push forward to continue doing these. Well, that's all I got for time. Until next week, God bless.